This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Today, welcome to it, the Bounce Show Monday, so much to get in through, what a power, power weekend that was, a little opening from Kiss there, thank you for the classics for you right here, cliffcentral.com, Monday morning, the Proteas, so much to talk about there, huge weekend of Super Rugby and just so much football action, this really is an exciting time of year and it's getting better and better, we've got the World T20 coming up, Super Rugby is only going to get better the majors and golf start. We've got football league action coming to a climax. There's good cup stuff as well. So you're in the, at the right place, really. If you're listening live, you can get in touch with the show. Yeah, you can tweet me at follow the bounce. Or if you're on WeChat listening, just direct message to screen. I'll pick up your messages here. And uh, anything you want to chat about. Today, we've got a big focus on rugby. We've got Kaunda and Tunja coming. Well, he's going to be on the line. He'll be on the phone lines. And Simia Ref will be on the phone lines too. They're speaking about rugby and cricket, respectively. Uh, Kondis just started his new show on Supersport called Parker. Now, he used to actually have a show here on Cliff Central. He used to be part of the Not the Nine O'Clock News Sports. Not, anyway, <laughs> they had a sports show. It was also on Mondays and Thursdays. So he's going to come in and we talk about some, uh, some rugby. And then there is just so much to discuss about this Proteus team right now. Of course, losing to the Proteus, the, the Aussies yesterday, it was a, but disappointing. You think when a team's got 200 runs on the board and you can't defend? Well, there's some problems there. Oh, so that's pretty much my intro. You're in the right place. You like rugby and cricket and football. And if you like a bit of UFC and a bit of golf, also, we're going to keep that. So we're going to start off with just playing a little clip from one of the big upsets of the weekend and talking about not on the field of play, but actually in the UFC fighting arena. On short notice, expecting to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. Give us your thoughts on Nate as an opponent and what went down here tonight. Uh, I took the chance going, going at 170, but Nate came in. He was a. Uh, I felt I took him the fourth round, but I, I was inefficient with my energy. But I'm humble in victory or defeat. And um, I respect Nate. He came in. Yeah, he took the final short nose, came in at 170 and, and done the job. He, he was efficient. I wasn't efficient. That was, that was it, I feel. I feel I was. I hit too much arms, too much. Uh, these things happen. I learn, I grow. I took a chance, came away. It didn't work out. Um, it is what it is. I'll, I'll face it like a man, like a champion, and come back and do it again. I'm sure you will, sir, and I look forward to seeing you compete again. Conor McGregor, ladies and gentlemen. Well done, Conor McGregor, for admitting uh, that you went up a weight division. Now, if you don't know too much about UFC, I myself also, you know, like a passing fan. I, I kind of know who who is, but... Uh, what he did was he came up a, a weight division. So if you're becoming quite comfortable waiting or fighting in the sort of, uh, I think he was 160 pounds, so 70, early 70 kilograms. Uh, he was below that in the 60s. So he fought everyone in his division. 
and then beat them all. And then he decided to go up one. Now, going up is quite difficult because you got to put on weight. That's great. But just it's the ability to fight fire with fire, really. And uh, he had a fight, so the guy pulled out. A lot of Conor McGregor's opponents do pull out for mysterious injuries. So Nate uh, Diaz had all of 12 days to prepare for a fight against McGregor, who is, you know, the most confident guy around. He was always shouting his mouth off about this. But it got down to uh, his submission in the end. Uh, Diaz landed a few pretty good blows to uh, Conor McGregor's face, and then from there he just choked him out. He got to the position where as soon as that headlock went on, it was a tap out in about three seconds. And the other UFC fight news, uh, Holly Holm, she beats Ronda Rousey last year. And like beat her pretty well. So anyway, she was going to wait until Ronda Rousey was fit again. Uh, she had some reconstructive surgery on her face. And obviously the conference is a big deal. You just get back in the ring. There was rumors about June, July. It's more like October, November that she'll be ready to fight again. So Holly said, well, you know what? I'll take on another challenge. I'm not waiting for that. And uh, Misha Tate was the challenger. And she lost to Misha Tate. Interesting times. If you like UFC, it's unpredictable. There's no such thing as uh, done and dusted fights there. So that's always entertaining. But let's get into some rugby. Uh, just a quick little run through of the Super Rugby from the weekend. We're going to chat to Kondo in about 15 minutes. So let's just try to get through that, but nothing too in-depth just yet. It wasn't exactly the most exciting weekend. If you look at the first weekend, there was some great action. I mean, the games were really, really just amazing cut and thrust action. This weekend sort of uh, leveled out a little bit. Crusaders played the Blues on Friday. Now, the Blues, of course, beating the Highlanders first up, which was quite a bit of, bit of a result, that one, for them. But they went to Christchurch, and they just didn't have anything as far as the, the right structures, the right game plans. They still had a chance to kind of stay in the match, but just a bit too loose, a bit too green, which is exactly what this Blues team is. You know, they're exciting. They've got a lot of talent. But uh, they didn't get those opportunities to really run. I mean, they were 16th, ranked 16th this weekend on uh, clean breaks, and 16th the defenders beaten as well. There were only 16, team, 16 teams playing this weekend, so you work it out. They were the worst in those factors. They had to make the second most tackles. They missed the second most amount of tackles, uh, but they did manage to scrap for some turnovers. Crusaders, on the other hand, well, they had a much better game. They just they didn't seem to have the confidence against the Chiefs in the previous week, but this time around, much, much better. They were number one in passes. They were much more efficient with the ball. Kicked a little less. They stole lineouts. They were the second best team in stealing lineouts, and defenders beaten. They were the second best as well. The Brumbies versus Waratahs, clear to see that the Waratahs uh, are a little bit behind the Brumbies. And it's always going to be between those two in the Aussie Conference there. 32-15 for the Brumbies. And uh, again, set pieces. These guys just know what they're doing. Number one in lineouts one. They were pretty good in the passes too. Second amount of passes. Just good, intelligent use of the ball. And then the Waratahs just had to kind of always chase the game. They had two yellow cards in the first half, which didn't help. Discipline is a key thing. Just ask the Jaguars. And uh, they didn't really make much with the ball in hand. On Saturday's fixtures, the Chiefs against the Lions. Chiefs, after winning that first match against the Crusaders, they look to be favorites with this one. But then go, Lions, go. Lions were number one this weekend with offloads. Number one defenders beaten. Number two in line breaks. They just really know what they do um, attacking-wise. And I'm going to get more into this with Kondo, but I think Heineke Mayer has to be credited with some of this because he didn't pick any Lions players basically through his time as a coach. And these guys have had a chance to really gel and settle as a good unit. And look at them go. You can't just go over to Hamilton, play against the Chiefs, and just expect to get a win. And, uh, you know, it was a narrow win at that. But, wow, just it's just so encouraging to see South African teams playing with so much heart and finesse and with so much flair. This is what we've been crying out for for years. And there's the Lions team just doing it. 
36-32. That's two wins out of two. That's nine nine points in the first two games. They have the Highlanders next week, though, so the dream opening is just one game away for them. The Highlanders played the Hurricanes, 17-16 they were, eventually victors over the Hurricanes. Not the best game. We kind of expected better. The refereeing was also a little bit shocking, but uh, the replacement fly off Hayden Park is slotting the winning penalty there in that greenhouse they call a stadium. Scrappy match. Uh, let's move on. Reds force that first half was so particularly boring. I'm not entirely sure if anyone actually watched the second half, but the second half is where the force came alive, apparently. They won that one 22-6 in the end. Long, long tournament of Aussie derbies ahead. My voice sounds a bit funny. I do apologize. I feel a bit of flu coming on, so apologies if I sound a bit gruff. The Bulls, 45-25 over the Rebels. Now, the Bulls really should have done a lot more with this. They scored six tries in total, but they just leaked in that second half. They leaked four tries to the Rebels, who just seemed completely lackluster. They won in game one, but yeah, who knows what they're really going on with this one. So some soft moments there for the Bulls, and I think there's just a lack of leadership, a lack of continuity within just key decision-making, I think. And this is why I don't think they're going to trouble the Sharks or the Stormers in the local stakes. But, you know, you like to be um, proven wrong with such things because there's definite firepower there. That Bulls team, they look pretty good with ball in hand. They they were the best team of the weekend for meters run, the, the best team for clean breaks, and uh, Offload's third best team. So that's handy. That's just really, really good. The Cheetahs, they took on the Stormers in Bloemfontein. Now, they've got a pretty good record against the Stormers historically at this ground. And uh, the Stormers were flying high after a very good win against the Bulls at Newlands. But this game was boring. Uh, these two teams just seemed to cancel each other out, and it's never that good. Cheetahs scored a fantastic set-piece try. But outside of that, they were just scrapping with the Stormers, who essentially were always going to beat them through defense. They... Um, they had the least, I think the second least missed tackles out of any team this whole weekend. Cheetahs, on the other hand, they had to make the most tackles by any other team. And they conceded the third most penalties. So not good things for the Cheetahs. 10-20, the final result there for the Stormers. The Sharks versus the Jaguars. Well, the Sharks, again, their finishing is just terrible. They should have had a bigger lead. The Jaguars uh, gave up two yellow cards again. If this, these guys could stay on the field, I reckon they're going to be decent in a year or two's time. But they've got a lot to learn in the meantime. But ball in hand, the Jaguars, they know what they're doing. Um, they're definitely putting a lot of pressure on their opponents. But it's just a numerical thing right now. Sharks 19, Jaguars 15 at the end there. So that's uh, the weekend wrap from the Super Rugby. It's going to go on for months and months still. So pace yourself. Don't feel you've got to watch every single game through the weekend. There is lots of other sporting action, so I totally understand. If you do miss anything, obviously just come to the, the Bounce Show every Monday here on Cliff Central. Just a quick look at the fixtures going ahead for week three. The Blues take on the Hurricanes on Friday. Force versus the Brumbies, those are your two matches. And then Saturday, we've got Highlanders versus the Lions. Rebels versus the Reds, you'll miss that one. Sunwolves host the Cheetahs. Kings host the Chiefs and then Stormers Sharks to end off a great weekend this weekend for SA Rugby. That's going to be a real, real big game. You've got to think the Stormers at home, probably the better side right now, but that's always a fantastically even even derby. Really exciting stuff. On to other rugby news, the Bits box, they look so good in the pool stages of the Las Vegas Sevens. Uh, Seven Storm, they have, of course, won before. But they lost 12-14 to the Aussies in the semis. Two penalty tries against the Blitzbox. Well, the first one you probably think was fair enough. The second one was an absolute howling decision from the referee. Clearly, arms were used. The referee deemed it a shoulder charge. He consulted with his touch judge, who was equally clueless. Two of them panicked, then bothered going upstairs and asking someone with eyes. And that was it. 
the Blitzbok were out of the semis. They managed to get third place after beating the host 21-10, but it's a bit disappointing. You know, it really is. It's like the second, um, second semi-final now that the Blitzbox, sorry, the second match that they looked like they were going to be favourites to the title that they lost. Of course, in Wellington, they played against New Zealand and there were a couple of hometown decisions there in the final. But here, the Blitzbox going out in the semis with a howling decision. We've been saying this for a couple of months now. You just hope when it gets to the Olympics, there isn't going to be the same amount of crap decisions and uh, we can actually get a bit of fair rugby. The Aussies went into the final 15-point lead against Fiji. They blew it in the second half. Fiji winning that one 21-15. And with that, they go to the top of the world, uh, the IRB 7s ranking at the moment. South Africa are second and New Zealand rounding up that top three. So no Six Nations rugby this weekend. That will kick up again this week. So on to cricket we go. And again, big in-depth chat with Simi RF. That will be in about 25 minutes time. Let me just quickly go on to that. There's a story about the ICCR investigating an entire team heading up to the World T20. So this really isn't good timing, of course. At no stage do you want to see match fixing. No stage do you want to see corruption in the game. But on the eve of a world event like this, it's pretty damning. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually reveal whose people are or they're going to just let this kind of slide over the World T20. So any day now, we could have an, um, a pretty, well, harrowing announcement for some team. But on Friday, David Miller came to form and the Proteas stuttered their way to a three-wicket victory over the Aussies. It was a pretty good game. We did a lot with the ball, did South Africa. Uh, Tahir, again, was just brilliant. He really is quite the T20 talent. Limited overs, he really is great. I think he lulls people into a false sense of security in this form of the game, and they find themselves hitting out in rash strokes. But on to Sunday, that was the big game, and again, the Proteas did all right with the bat. They scored 204, which many, many occasions you think is enough. But it wasn't. Uh, where do you start, okay? Firstly, we were about 20 runs shy when you think that De Kock better well. Miller had a bright and breezy 30-something. Fuff uh, 79 was incredible. It was a really good knock. But Beardine and Morris just stuttered so badly. They both scored three, and just momentum died from there. And then uh, we started so brightly with the ball. Stain's return was brilliant. Rabada was just sensational. But then between Morris, Fisa, and Tahir, they bowled their 12 overs for 144 runs. A couple of question marks in that is, did Fuff do enough with them as far as rotating them why is it that Morris had to bowl so deep down you know was Rabada used properly should he have two overs at the end should have been bowled out in the beginning because just giving him the last over was a bit unfair maybe he needed more of an impact towards the end Stain was pretty good but again just leaky leaky runs and just not finding the lengths at this level is so so depressing Visa and Morris eight overs for 97 runs together <sighs> you want more but at the same time why are these guys bowling their full fours if they can't get the job done in the day if to, if um Bayardin's going to be picked because he can bowl a bit and same with Dumini and neither of them even touch the ball that's also a big kind of uh vote of no confidence in their abilities as you know contributing with both so anyway Warner and Maxwell capitalized on this Warner scoring 77 Maxwell scoring 75 161 it was a world record partnership between the two and they got them home, basically. They both departed in the last two overs, but they didn't have enough runs, the Proteas, at the end there. Some shoddy fielding didn't help as well. And just the basics, when you think about it, sure, there was the bowling was bad, and they could have saved a few things here and there. But get down to it as well. Proteas, 14 extras. The Aussies, just five. <laughs> nine runs. How key are those nine runs in the greater scheme of things? 
because that just it, it, you want to pull your hair out you really do but it's a great game anyway it's very exciting to know that t20 can go this deep and i was there at the stadium yesterday it was amazing the atmosphere was incredible when rebutter came back onto bowl the entire crowd was just chanting kg kg and that guy's becoming such a fan favorite and you can see why with the ball is incredible it took an incredible catch in the boundary as well but his team didn't leave him enough to work with there as i said some shoddy fielding too anyway decided wednesday 6 p.m that is the decider of this one and even though we look at it in the greater scheme of things it's not the best warm-up to- uh, tournament for these guys but still it's exciting whenever SA and australia play cricket against each other Going to Asia Cup, India wins the Asia Cup. No big surprise there. They weren't beaten throughout the tournament. Uh, Bangladesh managed to scrape their way into the final. Rain shortened final, 15 overs apiece. And uh, India, eight wickets, the winners there. Darwin got 60. Uh, Kohli was 41 not, 41 not out. Kohli, 76.5 average. Really, really amazing stuff. Just quickly on to football. We're not going to have a lot of time for football this week because rugby and cricket is the big focus. But... From the round of 32 in the Nedbank Cup, just to kind of look at a select bunch of results there, Marisburg United, Platinum Stars and Bidvest Fits all found their way into the next round during the week. Joining them will be Pirates. They beat Chiefs 2-0. That was a big game on the weekend. Golden Arrows, they went through as well. Uh, Free State Stars, they've gone through. They beat IS Cape Town. Malmody Sundowns needed extra time to beat Highlands Park. They won that one 1-0. And Black Aces, they were far too good for Minnow's United Rovers, which is an interesting name taken from no creativity whatsoever. 7-0 Black Aces won there. And in the English Premier League, well, if you didn't watch the Arsenal-Tottenham match, you definitely missed out on a hell of a lot. It's always billed as such a dramatic crunch, sorry, crunch grudge match. Try to say that one 10 times fast. And it definitely lived up to all of it. You kind of felt there was always going to be a yellow card, sorry, a red card at some stage in this match. And it was for that French win, uh, Cochrane, I think his name is. He slid in for a, an, an unnecessary challenge on Harry Kane. Kane took it to his exa- to his advantage. He clipped his own feet on the on the flying legs. Off he went, and with that, Arsenal went from being one 0 up to two one down. But good good spirit, good fight back from Arsenal. Sanchez managed to get a goal deep into the match, and Arsenal really had a chance right at the end to seal it. And that would have been a fantastic victory. But still, it showed a lot of heart. It showed a lot of want and belief, and that was something that has been lacking from this Arsenal team in the league. Uh, it would have been four straight defeats the first time, I think, since 2002. So they scraped a point there, which does mean they're still in the title race, but now they're eight points behind what, uh, Leicester. Leicester beat Watford 1-0. Uh, Spurs are now five points behind uh, Leicester. So that's kind of your top three. 60 points Leicester, Spurs 55, Arsenal 52. Man City still outside chance, perhaps. 50 points there. But you've got to think they're huge outsiders now. They've got to win everything and just really hope for the guys in front to stutter. In the La Liga in Spain, same old, same old. Barcelona keeps scoring goals. They're going to just win that one. No problem there. And uh, finally, before we get into Kaunda, who we're going to be in touch with very shortly, WGC at the Durrell National, which is Trump's course. Adam Scott, what form this guy's in. Back-to-back victories here. Of course, he won in the Honda the week before. A 69 on the day it matters most. A day that Roy McIlroy would have taken a 69. He would have taken a 72 even. That would have got him in the playoff. Unfortunately, a 74 for him. And a minus 10 for McIlroy. He loses that one by two. Bubba Watson finished runner-up in the end there. Minus 11. So, going into the Masters, we'll have an in-depth, huge discussion around that. Uh, we've got our golfing expert we can bring in for that one. And finally, big upset of the weekend. If you think there weren't enough already in UFC and the rest, 
the LA Lakers beat the Golden State Warriors. The LA Lakers are a team that's won all of 12 matches going into this match, losing 51. Golden State, on the other hand, they won 54 with just six losses. Came to this match, the, and it meant nothing. 112 to the Lakers, 95 to Golden State Warriors. Right, that is your intro. That is your headlines. We're going to get into our chat with Konda. He'll be next after just a reminder of what you're listening to today. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Clive Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on CliveCentral.com. Yes, indeed. Monday mornings, right here on The Bounce Show. Everything you might have needed or missed over the weekend, catch up on it right here, along with insightful chats with really great guests like Konda and Tunja. Konda, are you there with us? Hi, Ben. How are you? Oh, superb. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, I've got to start by saying congrats on the new show. It's Thank so, you. Thank it's, you. Um, and I'm just saying this because you were on Cliff Central previously. I know you, you love your rugby. You're very passionate. You know, you, <laughs> you, you, you do the commentary. Of course, you played at a decent level growing up. You are a rugby man through and through. So now you get your own platform. Congrats for that. No, thanks, Ben. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time at Cliff Central. Uh, obviously, now I've, I've had, I've been blessed with other opportunities from on a broadcasting from a broadcasting uh, point of view and to get my own show obviously is is um, I, I, I can I can only just say I'm blessed and TV's the TV's the business eh? I mean you can do stuff in radio you know you, you're in the commentary box but you want to be seen chicks dig TV it's still that's the be all end all come again sorry about that you yeah I was just saying like you know you can do various things around sport but you kind of want to be on TV at some stage you know like when, you, when you're old and grey and your grandkids are running around you can always go yeah you know I have my own TV show <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, I would love to do both platforms, radio and TV. Um, but yeah, man, um, I'm enjoying doing a lot of TV work right now. As you've mentioned, uh, the commentary and then on the show, uh, which I'm currently anchoring a show called Parker, which is a Tulsa rugby show. Um, uh, and we focus a lot on um, the history of black rug- of black people in rugby. And also, we also focus on rugby at grassroots level. And I've also been lucky and blessed that I'm, I'm also uh, pro- producing the show as well. Uh, but yeah, man, um, I've also got a passion and a love for radio. So I've been involved with Metro FM on Robert Marawa's show, on a show called um, uh, uh, the, the, the Room Dividers. Uh, so I've been involved there as well. So yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm having a decent run. Now is that because you're quite a unit, Gonda? That you were once a room divider, <laughs> and they just thought, thought that's a good name for a show. <laughs> it is for sure. I mean, I'm I'm uh, yeah, I'm uh, a unit as you put it. Also, I've got Lawrence De Parker there on the show, who's also quite a, a hefty fellow, and Tando Manana as well. So we three. Uh, we're a front row there. <laughs> Hence, they call us uh, the room dividers. Okay, so be sure to catch Parker. That's uh, Tuesday nights, 6 p.m. Yeah, on, every Tuesday on at uh, 1800 on Supersport 1. Uh, tomorrow's show, uh, we're going to be actually, we're actually going to have Robbie Kempson on the show and Kaya Malotana, um, two former Springboks. And we're going to be profiling Queen's College from the Eastern Cape. So they're two Queenians. We're going to be profiling their school and also looking at their careers as well. 
Okay. Very nice. Well, let's get into Super Rugby. Now, we've had two weekends. First one was really great. Second one was, yeah, it was okay. Any big surprises <laughs> for you so far? I mean, what do you find with this new format and that whole three tries, more bonus point thing? How do you, how do you find the opening weeks have gone? Yeah, um, you know, I understand why they, they decided to, to have the, 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 the bonus point three try situation. So that players, so the teams can always have something to play for all the way through until the end of the, of the 80 minutes. But why don't they look at it in another way? So let's say, for example, if you have scored a certain amount of tries, you, you can get a bonus point. And then if you get another three tries, you can get another bonus point. If you get another three tries, you can get another bonus point. Now all of a sudden, the teams are going to be pressing to try and get as many bonus points as they can in a game when the game is opened up. So I mean, there's you know there's there's negatives, there's positives from what they from the decision that they've made, but they could have taken it actually a step further. Yeah, it's a fair point, but I think um, you get quite a lot of arguments if you've got two teams vying for the playoffs and one of them plays the Kings in the final match and one of them plays the Brumbies, for instance. Yeah. But it is a fair, it is a fair point, but I guess, you know, it's also just keeping things relatively simplistic. It would be the next step, in my opinion, because the double bonus points, it does take it further. Now, if you look at the, um, you look at, look at the Bulls over the weekend, this is, I think where, sure. where it's first come into it. You're the team that scored six tries. They kind of let the let the foot off the gas there, so they outplay their opponents comprehensively, yeah. and they get the same amount of points that the Stormers get over the Cheetahs in one of the most yeah. dour games rugby we've seen for quite some time. Mm. I actually had a chat with Nolus Mare uh, after the game, and I asked him, Nolus, why didn't you guys tick for touch at the time that it was six tries to three um, instead of kicking for poles because. Had you had you gone for the try there, then you would have shut the the, the rebels out of a, uh, the, an opportunity of starving you guys from a bonus point. Yeah. Because the rebels then came back and scored a try. Yes, the game was done like in the first half already, but the rebels managed to stop the bulls from getting a, a bonus point. And I think that um, old Adrian Strauss there actually didn't actually think about the situation properly uh, in that game situation because he could he could. Because um, making sure that you more than three tries, three tries or more away should have been the most important thing at that point. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Well, it is like different dynamics these guys have to think about. So maybe for the for the benefit of the players, we need to keep these changes to a minimal going forward. So the, the next thing we have to talk about, of course, is the Lions. And I know it's already two <laughs> weeks into the tournament, but South African yeah. fans, being South African fans, there's already calls for them to be. You know, make Ackerman the coach of the box, get all the lines in there. You know, guys, they, they, they leap to these conclusions. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts first here on the coaching thing? Now, we, we still don't have a box coach. Should we be looking at Ackerman or is Alistair Kutsia more the guy because he has paid his dues, so to speak, and should be the guy for that? Um, two things, Ben. Okay. I first want to touch on the super rugby situation. I think that the format of super rugby is actually quite, quite unfair. Uh, a let's say for example the the Lions are playing in a totally different tournament to let's say the Highlanders for example because the, the, a South African team could in a season only play Australian teams and then they play the bulk of their of their season against in the derby and then the Highlanders will have their derbies against New Zealand teams who let's be let's let's admit it. Are at a higher level than the South African team. That's a good point. And then, so you, you're actually playing in two different tournaments, even though you're all sharing, working towards the same point. So I think that that sort of 
a, a structure is, is quite unfair to a, to a number of teams. But having said that, let me get back to um, the question that you asked. I think that because of what because of the situation that South Africa is in, I think that it's very very important that South Africa has a qualified coach of color. Um, now, <clears throat> normally I wouldn't say this, but we, we've we've had so many ten, so much tension from a racial point of view in in our rugby when Heineke was the coach as well. I mean, things almost uh, blew up. Uh, people were complaining that Heineke doesn't care about transformation. Yeah. Um, and we've had the situation now at 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 uh, at, uh, at your office in Bloemfontein where there was fighting and it they, it became a big race thing. And I think that um, the the sort of uh, the way that people see rugby uh, from a black point of view is very very negative. A lot of people are saying, you know, white people don't want black people involved in rugby. That's why they're not getting picked. That's why we're having all of these these fights and all of those sort of things. So. I think that because of where we are as a, as a country, I think that it's very, very important to get a competent uh, uh, coach of color to be, to be made the Springbok coach, um, purely because of all the, the things that I've just, I've just mentioned now. But what's also important is that I think, I think that, okay, I think Alistair should be the coach. His CV is more than good enough. As a player, he played at the highest level. He was actually the, 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 the Springbok captain. Uh, from a, from a um, uh, coloured point of view during the apartheid era. He was the captain of the Springboks and then he's gone on to coach. He's won the World Cup as an assistant coach. Yeah. He made it to the final of Super Rugby. He's won two Curry Cups uh, coaching uh, Western Province. So, I mean, his pedigree is, uh, is undisputed. Now, what's important is that if you make Alistair Kutia the coach, he must be have, we must be comfortable with the decision that he's going to make of his assistant coaches, because they've already signed up uh, Johan van Kran to be involved in the coaching staff. Now, what are you saying now to Alistair? Alistair, he comes in, he can't choose a forwards coach anymore because Johan van Kran is already there and he's already been contracted. So I think that's a little bit unfair for him if he does get involved. I know that Rassi, Rassi Rasmus might also be the guy involved and from, from the reports that I'm hearing, he's sort of put a gun on, on Saru's head saying, listen, make the decision now. I'm ready to go. If you don't make the decision, X and Y and Z could happen. So uh, from from my understanding, the two front runners are Rassi Rasmus and Alistair Kutia. Personally, because of the situation we're in as a country, I think that Alistair should be given the job. Well, that's just it. I mean, this is what frustrates me about rugby. And I think a lot of this has to do with Saru as well. They're ducking and diving. And I'm not just talking about Uri's finances. They sort of have a gray stance on a couple of things. So all these things that you bring up right now, I mean, just touching on a very superficial kind of race points there, that's true, okay? We can't get away from it. It is the next step. We need to be just be on board with that, and that's it. So all the other talk just doesn't need to come into it. But again, so this is our guy. These these things must be clearly set. So, okay, Alistair, you need to transform a little bit. That's the first thing we need to look at this here because the last sure. thing was a big issue. But secondly, the freedom, as you say, to not have your own choice of forwards coach or being dictated to like that. Again, like, I mean, this Van Kran guy, he was part of Heineke's era. Sure, he might be fantastic and talented, but that has got to be the coach's decision. And like, there's a, there's no wonder why these guys then I'm in awe about siding on the dotted line because it's almost like they're poised for failure. Mm. From 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 people that I've spoken to, sort of close to to Alistair or sort of around the, the Saru camp, there, 
from my understanding is that Alistair wants wants the job, but he wanted uh, Matthew Proudfoot to be involved as well. I don't know how true or not true that is, but if that is the case, then then obviously Alistair Kutia and Saru are going to be at loggerheads because yeah. they've already signed this guy, Johan von Kron. What are what are we gonna what are we gonna what what are they gonna do with von Kron? Maybe von Kron will then have to go to to Rossi's uh, Moby unit, uh, and now you're paying people a, a heck of a lot of money uh, to do the same thing. So yeah, there's you know it's, it's, it's upside down right now, and and as you've already mentioned, you know there's still the issues of the CEO yeah. who's being investigated. Uh, the president is saying, okay, if the CEO did. Um, and there's all funds, then he should be fired, and then everyone turning on the president. So obviously, at a, at the highest level, it's a mess right now. But I think that as rugby fans, uh, we are more concerned about who's going to be the Springbok coach. Um, and to be in March, and we don't have a, 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 a national coach, I think is a, is a tragedy. I mean, the USA has got a, a bloody coach already. Yeah. And we don't, and we don't, and we don't have a coach. Everyone else is sorted. We we're not sorted. So I mean, those sort of things that we need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed ASAP. Well, as we speak, the Aussies are hanging out with Michael Checker right now, talking tactics for the year ahead. Our guys are just sort of like, hey, well, see if Breakby's still going. We're cool with that. So another one of the points, just to kind of finish off with Alistair Kutzer's point, is that some people are saying, uh, we have some messages here on the screen actually echoing these thoughts, is that when he was the Stormers coach, he wasn't very attacking. He wasn't very exciting. Yeah. Does that mean now that will then translate into the Bok coach? If so, then maybe we should be considering Ackerman because he's done wonders with the Lions. But I've, I've got two theories around that. Firstly, I think Ackerman needs to stay where he is right now because he's onto a good thing. We've got to let things actually run their course in this country. We can't just go, okay, the guy's had one good season. We've got to get him in. Let's see you the second yeah. or third season. Because at the same time, the longer he's there, the more talent he is developing now that do run the ball sure. and play this beautiful rugby that we all seem to want. Mm. And secondly, there's no guarantee that what you can do in Curry Cup and Super Rugby is international rugby. It'd be impossible to think that Ackerman's just going to rock up and we're going to be running in five tries at the box. It's kind of a different game. He's also very experienced, Ben. Um, a lot of people are crediting the success of um, of the Lions to the platform that John Mitchell laid. Yeah. Yes, let's not take away what Ackerman, uh, what Jan Ackerman and Swayze the Brain are doing. I mean, they're doing a sterling job. But I mean, there was a foundation that was laid when John Mitchell took the team uh, they may focus a lot on fitness, ball in hand, that sort of thing. Uh, and then they won the Curry Cup. And then Ackerman, who was John Mitchell's assistant, then took over the reins. And yes, Ackerman has won Coach of the Year in South Africa two years in a row, but he's still a very wet behind the ears uh, uh, coach. I think that you make a fair point. You know, Alistair um, at, at the Stormers, there was a lot of problems in terms of um, the, uh, the, their attack wasn't up to scratch. I mean, the team in 2010 that, that Alistair had should have won Super Rugby comfortably. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had, he had the best Stormers team that I've ever seen, actually, with uh, Jacques Fourier, Brana Bana, all these guys were there. Um, he should have won Super Rugby comfortably. And I think in that season, if I'm not mistaken, they were averaging something like 1.5 or 1.6 tries a game, yeah. which, is, which is a joke if you look at the personnel that he had. So, yes, attacking prowess is something that needs to be looked at. And I think that uh, Alistair should be, if, if Alistair is going to be the coach, 
he should also be realistic about what he did at the Stormers and try and find a guy, uh, an attack coach that will sort of take what he his work take his work to a totally different level. So even if he goes overseas to a guy like Wayne Smith or whoever and brings him in, but I mean the attack is 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 is, is, is vital for where we need to be. I mean it's also one of the issues that um, a lot of fans had with Heineken that he was very conservative in his approach. And when I when I when I sit back and I actually think about Heineke's coaching career as a spring at a national level, I think that Heineke actually messed up big time when he dropped Monestein because of the way that he wanted to play. And then Monestein was a perfect fly half for his style of play, and he was actually doing well yeah. up until the point that he dropped Monestein. Yes, Pollard is a, is a talented player. Yes, Lamb is a talented player. But what is the type of game that you're trying to play? Those two players are not suited to that game. So, unfortunately, that backfired big time for him. We lost to Flippin Japan. <laughs> we lost to Argentina. Uh, we, 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 weren't, we weren't a threat at the World Cup, even though we pushed, pushed the All Blacks until the end. But, I mean, I, it looked to me that All Blacks could have pushed up another a couple of years. Yeah, that was so, a flattering scoreline. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, for me... Alistair needs to bring in a, an attack specialist, a guy that is world-renowned, a man who's not flustered working with big players, a man who's not flustered being in that international arena, being in uh, a high-pressure game. He needs to get that sort of a guy. So I, I, I sort of see Alistair's role, if he is given the opportunity, more from a mentorship point of view and a managing point of view, more than a coaching uh, point of view. Well, that's just said. If you look at professional coaches in all the really great sides, I mean, I've got a message here from Jonathan Wood saying it's pathetic that we can get a coach so you can hire other people, but you're facilitating mm-hmm. at that level. You're not physically going there and coaching exactly. and holding cones and stuff. You need to be look the at, best look man at, look manager. At, look, look at Graham Henry, Ben, at, yeah. uh, at, the, at the All Blacks. Steve Anson and Wayne Smith, those guys were coaching the team. Exactly. Graham Henry was more the guy facilitating. He was more the father figure. Clive Woodward at England, same story. He had a coaching staff of about 50 people <laughs> that were busy there. And he was just more facilitating everything, making sure that all the players are in the right headspace, uh, making sure that everything is done the way it should be. And that's, I think, the role that Alistair should be given if, uh, if, he's, if he's made the Bob coach. Exactly. Well, Akunda, we have flown through. It's already time to get on to cricket. But before before I let you go, is there any solution in on the horizon with EP Rugby at the moment? Oh, that's a mess. <laughs> is, is it just should we just leave it at it's a mess? <laughs> no, it's a mess, Ben. I, I, from I've I've had a chat with uh, Tando Manana, former Springbok, who's from PE, uh, who's been up and down Joburg uh, to PE during these meetings and these AGMs and all of this. And from my understanding, uh, the clubs are asking for Saru to have a complete takeover of Eastern Province Rugby Union. Not only from a Southern King's point of view, but from the Rugby Union uh, itself as well. So let's see what, what happens from there. Um, Alu, um, what's his name? Uh, Chiki Watson survived uh, the vote of, vote of no confidence because of a small technicality. But eventually they're saying that they are going to bump him out of the way. Uh, so let's see what happens when... If Chiki goes out and if Saru decides to take over the union as a whole. There's far, far too many similarities between Chiki Watson and Jacob Zuma. Surviving votes yeah. of no confidence, <laughs> ultimately <laughs> going to get nudged out. Gonda, thanks so much for they're your time. They're survivors. They're survivors. They are. They're thanks. politicians to the end. Thanks, Ben. Thank cool. you. Cool. Thanks so much for your time. Right. Um, yes.
So that was Konda. You can catch him every Tuesday on Supersport with his show Pucker. That's it. Uh, yeah, as we mentioned at the start of the show. Whoopsie, in a second. Otherwise, just uh, follow him on Twitter. Um, if you go onto my, my Twitter feed, you'll see all my guests uh, and their Twitter handles. And, of course, on the Bounce of Seattle today afterwards, I have the full show, basically, with all the clips and all the people that I have featured. So before we get into our crickets, um, oh, crap, I've lost more train of thought again. Oh, wait. Uh, sorry, this desk is sometimes quite a, um, what do you call it, a smorgasbord of knobs and things, so I just need to get the laptop back, because we've got Simi RF, he'll be coming in now with our chat about the cricket, in about two minutes time, so we're going to play into that with the most cringe music video at the moment. <laughs> Inspire Protea Fire at the ICC World 2020 in Yes, India. yes, yes. Inspire Protea Fire. Protea Fire. Yeah, it's there. There's no doubt about it. It's a cool thing that they're doing, and it's great to see the guys not taking themselves too seriously. Wow, that is the most cringe, cringe music video you've ever seen in your whole life. But good on the guys. Good on the guys. They uh always giving their most for the fans. And it's great to see when you go watch these games. And I must commend Cricket South Africa on this. I do often give them a lot of shit for good reasons too. But they do provide a great fan spectacle. And I'm not just talking about the fact they're throwing flames into the air. I mean, anyone can do that. It's just really good for them. We're having some issues getting Simi on the phone. Uh, my producer Duncan is shouting at someone through. A, yes? No? Put it through? Okay, no, we gotta, we got to win. we got to win. Yeah, Duncan, this guy's brilliant. Hey, Simi, you there? Yo, Ben, can you hear me? Yeah, spot on, man. Thanks. It's yeah. always good to get through to you. So, to me, we haven't got a lot of time, but I just really wanted to get your thoughts because you were one of the voices of reason on Twitter over the weekend. Now, in T20, it's nice to know that everyone can have a good swing and get your explosive batsman at the top of the order, but still no Hashim Amla. And I think the team does lose a bit of balance without him. We scored 204 runs over the week on Sunday. That's all good and well. But I think we did leave some runs out there. The guy has a strike rate in T20s of 125. He doesn't fuck around. He is the man. And I think he creates good balance. You agree with all of that? Uh, first of all, it's very surprising that Hashim Amla is always left out of T20. Because Hashim Amla has played half the amount of games with someone compared to JP Doomley. And has scored half the amount of runs. And he has a better strike rate. For me, Hashim Amla is our best opener in all formats of the game. Exactly. In every single format. When they said Hashim Amla couldn't play test cricket, he came back played test cricket. When they said Hashim Amla couldn't play one day international, came back played one day international. We saw what Hashim Amla did in the bull ring against the English. And I just find it absolutely soul-destroying that Hashim Amla can't make it into this team. It, it is a bit. And you think like... You need platforms, you need structures, and like you said, he'll play any format of the game. A team is only as good as its core, so yes. it's nice to and have without a... Amla in the court, it's just not good enough. Personally, because it's not like we're, if we're going to take someone out, people always say, like, but then who opens the batting? Personally, I don't think the Villiers should open the batting. Yeah, I, I really don't think. I think he should come in number three. I think Fuck should move down to number four, and Amla and Dukak should open. Dumini shouldn't even be in the team. Riley Rousseau should play because we're not even using Dumini to bowl. Okay, well, I'm glad you jumped straight to that point, but I totally agree with you because the whole thing about getting AB up the order was he was batting at five and then we were losing games because the guy had like 40 balls and we needed like 300,000 yes. runs. I get yes. that, okay? But you can elevate it to three. You don't have to go like opening. And everyone goes, yeah, but he's doing a writer's opening. He's AB de Villiers. You can make him bat on one leg while singing 
Pavarotti, the guy will score runs, okay? So I don't think that's the argument either. So that top 100%. five, that, that bad lineup you just suggested right now on the money. But now, let me just tell you about JP Dumini quickly. Now we all know the guy's confidence isn't right right now. He's not there to bowl at all. So we're seeing him as a batsman. And right yeah. now, his form is shocking, okay? But if you tie it into the fact, the next two things I'm going to tell you, suddenly it makes a bit more sense. The guy's average is good for a reason, okay? The last two times we've played in India, which is recently, you now these guys are the overwhelming favorites for this world T20. JP Dumini yeah. was not out with scores of 60 and, and 30 odd, okay? If you look at, yeah. his, look at his IPL, the guy's played 67 matches with an average of 40 and a strike rate of 125. So he's already been in those conditions and he's done you, well. You know why I don't take IPL stuff into account? Because Yusuf Abdullah, who was a bowler for the Dolphins, played in the IPL for a season. Yeah, but he was shit hot that season. Come on. Yeah, but he wasn't good enough in the IPL that season, though. He was fine, but I'm just like, it's not like a big thing to play IPL. People play IPL. I like selecting players on form. That's exactly what I like doing. And I feel like if you're going to say, yo, we need to give Riley Rousseau a run in the team, but then after he scores three shit scores, then we're like, oh, okay, cool, no, let's let's find someone else to replace him. We can't play J.B. Dumini. J.B. Dumini isn't our all-rounder option. J.B. Dumini is like a Huawei phone. It looks like an iPhone, but it's not really an iPhone. He looks like he bowls like Habishan's thing, but he doesn't bowl like Habishan's thing. Hashim Amla could bowl J.B. Dumini's overs, and we could call him an all-rounder. Yeah, okay, look, I think we throw the, the burning all out there, but of course, you just gotta keep thinking, we're going to India, okay, it's different, we, yeah. the guys are doing whatever they want on the Wanderers pitch, that's fine, it's good and well, it's good entertainment, we all go watch, we love it. But India, we have to keep looking at India. And so the, you wouldn't play Hashim Amla in India? No, of course not, no, no, we, we, we've already gone past that. Hash is opening, that's done, that's yeah. where he's in. What yeah. I'm talking now is this middle order about Dumini going, look, I think Bayardin's just a joke that's not funny anymore. And we get that. Yeah. So that's also out of the equation. The one thing I think is worth discussing still is Dumini because everyone's writing him off. All I'm saying is that I think there's a fair amount of pedigree. There's a fair amount of relatively recent form when you think October last year in those conditions, he was our best batsman. So yeah. I still think that, that there is value because as Sarkin fans, we love to say things in sweeping statements. So I still believe there's value there. Now, something I have, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but there are a couple of people who are sympathizing hugely with Fehan Behadin. Have, have you ever seen I, this phenomenon? I, I, I don't know if you, you see me when I find them. I always say that they're drunk people. <laughs> because there's, I told you, the best thing Behadin's done all summer has been in a music video. Yeah. That's that is the best true. thing. I don't know how they can sympathize with the guy. Well, just on that, okay, if you look at Riley Rousseau, he's got an average of 35 in T20 cricket, right? A strike rate of 145. Now, again, people must realize that when a guy comes in and he scores 19, okay, it's a 20-over game. So if a guy scores in the 40s in a one-day cricket, does he get dropped? He doesn't. They say say that's all right. If you could just just dial back on Riley Rousseau's uh, batting here, his his last scores will be 19, 18, 26, 38, 19 not out, 31 not out. The last two scores I read to you were in Dhaka in Bangladesh on dreadful pitches. So again. You you see, the reason why, you see, Beardin's role in the team isn't to go out there and set the score uh, and get himself in and score 50 to 100. His, His whole role is to take the least amount of balls and get the most amount of runs. Correct. That's his only role. If we're saying that Behadin has any other role than that, then we're fooling ourselves. So if we take his only role of taking the least amount of balls to get the maximum amount of runs, then he has failed numerously. My favorite one is when we were playing against England and he scored 23 of 26 balls. 
I can understand him coming sixth and seventh. No one, uh, no one plans for you to score hundreds in. Yeah. But there has to be something for you that contributes. David Miller scored thirty-three of like eighteen. You know, it changed. Those are T20 winning formulas. So if you're saying that Behadin's not our guy, which he isn't our guy, no guy should score three. He didn't even score three playing like an, a, an amazing shot. He didn't hit six and go out. Juni hit a six and went out. Yeah. But I'm just like, he did, he does. I don't think, and then of course his his great throw at the end of the game. So why is he offering our team? Yeah, oh, yeah. Look again, again. Like that is it. That's the bottom line. You know, take that to Russell Domingo, and that guy won't be able to keep a straight face as he lies to us because you can't oh, look at that. Now, of course, I don't think Russell Domingo knows what he's doing. Anyway. <laughs> so it's a waste of opportunity because if you actually look at it right now, and I know this is quite a controversial thing to say, but we've missed the trick of not bringing Wayne Parnell into this team. This is the the time he's actually in the team, maybe with a bit of form and a bit of merit. They picked him when he was yeah. cut. Now he's actually got some no, ability. I see you, but I, I like if I had to, if I had to look at it, I mean, like I don't. I'm just looking at things and how things pop up in newspapers. I think his name was just thrown around too much during that Bodie case thing. Yeah, of course. Kumokul was the other option, but he was. I think. Important. I think literally that's the only thing because his runs and his runs in bowling should never have kept him out of any T Twenty selection. Yeah. Yeah, interesting times with that. Um, we do have a couple of messages. Black Box, who is a very passionate cricket fan, he is telling us yeah. that um, AB averages 48 while opening. But Black Box, I think the point we made there is that AB will bat well pretty much anywhere. We've got to look yeah, at this whole he, team he, thing. Yeah, he probably averages like 50 batting at three and like 100 batting at nine. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where AB AB is not the problem. Finding a place for AB is not the problem. AB could bat anywhere between one and four. Yeah. It's finding a place for the, our five, six, and seven, who are struggling. So we don't have a problem. Because if any of Amla, Dukok, AB, or Faf, like we saw what Faf did yesterday, that's exactly what you want to do. Yeah. You want to have someone that's there to bat through the overs and in those last few, or the last one, accelerate to a point where you add that extra bit on. So exactly. that's not the problem. The problem is, who do we get after that? I certainly believe my lineup would be Amla, Dukok, open. Yeah. Villiers, three, Faf, four. Mm-hmm. Five, I would put uh, David Miller. Six, I would put Riley Rousseau. Uh, seven, I'll, and uh, that's when I started. So and then let me just work out because I always work out from my bowlers. And then, I, then I have that one spot. So then bowlers, they have to play Iman Tahir, have to play Stain, have to play Rabada. Yeah. For me, it's between, we now have the luxury of choosing Vista, Morris, Abbott. And that's depending because it's a T20 game. It's so small. You know the team that you're going to play. If you're going to play India, there's 12 overs of spin. You know, so we have to work out who can play longer and hit spin. That's what we should be doing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It That's just, my it, it just makes a lot of sense. And another thing is that, like, the way you look at it, if, if Hashram is going to open with, with Dukok, now Dukok, if he's opening with AB, I think he almost feels he has to really force it as well from the get-go. So mm-hmm. when you when you got um, on the other side, apart from the fact he's actually he's a lecker guy to chat to, I'm sure it's a calming yeah. influence there, right? If you start with two dashes and one of them goes, then the other yeah. guy feels a bit uncertain. And like Dukok, I you think know, in Durban he looked a bit uncertain with AB going first ball. He wasn't he, sure what to do. You know, fickle fans look at Amla, right? And the thing is, the reason why they don't think Amla is good enough with T20 is because Amla doesn't smash it over the boundary. But you know, if you look at Sachin Tendulkar's record in the IPL. He had like one of, as an opening batsman, he had like one of the least amount of sixes. Yeah. Like he would only, like he scored runs in fours and turned over the strike. That is a tactic 
that people use in cricket, but they refuse to see it in T20s. Like, they don't see... Amla was 8th of, like, fourth or 14 balls against England, and then in the one over, got his score almost up to Abe de Villiers, like, 38. Exactly. So it's like... What are you saying, that Amla can't play this format of the game, or England are not a good enough opposition? Yesterday, Amla would have been there. While if something... I just find it better to have Amla there opening with someone who's aggressive than two aggressive batsmen just going, you know, guys, pass the the time. Let's go. It's true. And then if you look at our, our bowling um, response there, it just goes to show that maybe even more so than any other format, the basics in cricket are needed, right? 14, yeah. 14 extras, the Aussies had five. That whole thing of just mm. be able to like take your catches and field properly and just bowl Yorkers that maybe do go below the knee rather than above the knee. Yeah. The basics. Well, there's only one guy in our team that can bowl Yorkers. And well, it's a 20-year-old kid. It's a 20-year-old kid who's now been given the final over. It's a 20-year-old yeah. kid who knows how to bowl, bowl Yorkers, which is an amazing thing because we know our premier fast bowler in the world, Dale Stane, struggles to bowl, bowl a Yorker. Yeah. He just doesn't have the big match temper, and he can't do it in a live game. I'm sure he does it in the next all the time. Yeah, I'm sure he'll do it in the next Pro TFI music video. But just, yep. just, just, getting, just I love it. Just getting back to that point of the basics, right? There is still a need to rotate the strike on top of that. Amla is intelligent yes. enough to know when the bad ball must go and when the yes. other guy must get on the other end. That's the yes. thing. So he's what a complete Amla package. Does, he takes the game deeper for you. The, the fact that you, if you have wickets remaining and you go into the last five, Amla will set that situation up for you. That's the, his whole point. Yeah. So whether you have those quiet middle overs, I'm not going to take you to the 12th, 13th, 14th over before you can start going manic. He's going to do that. He's going to bat deep. That's his style. Yeah. Well, Sammy, I, I think the two of us are preaching to each other's choir, so to speak. I, I exactly. think we're on, we're on the same point here. Um, yes. We have had a request. One of the messages come through. Michelle wants to know when your podcast, your cricket podcast, is going up on iTunes. She's a big fan. Uh, She's not getting enough on, of you. It will be up on iTunes. You know how iTunes are. You have to validate and submit your podcast. It takes forever. But uh, we are revamping the podcast, and it's going to be great. Ben, you can definitely be a guest in it because you oh, see thanks, clearly man. someone understands my vibe. <laughs> And, you know, it's tough being the most unemployed cricket commentator in the country. <laughs> I do indeed. I'm kind of in the same sort of boat. Sammy, thanks for joining us today. On the 20th, thanks, 20th of this month, uh, Sammy will be back. We're going to do an alternative commentary of SA's game. With, yeah. I think it's Bangladesh we're going to be playing on the day. It's a Sunday match. It doesn't really matter who we're going to play because I feel I have a very good feeling of the World Cup. We'll only probably get knocked out in the final. Yeah, which is, which is always, always progress, really. We just need to get yeah. to the final. Cool, yeah, Sammy. Thanks so much, bud. Thanks, Ben. Chat soon. Yeah, All right, that wraps up for the Bounce Show today. If you did, if you missed anything live, then just catch the whole podcast on either cliffcentral.com or thebounce.co.za. Thanks for listening. And if, if anything you want to add to the show, feel free to email me, ben at thebounce.co.za. If I have missed your messages today, I do apologize. There were quite a few coming through. But uh, anytime on Twitter, find me at Follow the Bounce on Facebook at The Bounce and Instagram as well, The Bounce too. So you can find me all over. If you like the stuff that's being being done here, uh, then follow all those or just let me know what you need more or less of. I'm always ears for these things. Catch you next week. This is CliffCentral.com.